Friday, 26th of July, wherever you are in the world. My name's Kevin Garber. You are listening to Kevin Garber and James Peter on the It's a Monkey um, podcast. We are the co-founders of 89N. And James, happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. Yep, it's my birthday today. Um, are you turning, is it the big 3.0 or the big 2.9? Uh, you know, a good <laughs> question. I'm gonna have to work it out. Um, uh, no, I'm not. Not 30. No, 29. 29. Uh, so you 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 mapping Mark Zuckerberg in terms of his age, his wealth levels, his genius. Yeah, yeah, we we match on pretty much everything. So it's very very cool that way. <laughs> yeah. <it's laughs> well, at least on the age. I don't know about anything else, but <laughs> well, maybe, maybe you're a multiple like one. One hundred thousandth of his, uh, you know, <laughs> net worth or something. Maybe you're a nice, like a nice new multiple. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of Facebook, let's get straight into it. We've got a great show coming up, by the way. We're going to be talking with Jess Domain, a real live musician making a living from music. Would you believe in New York about how the music industry's changed? But while we on Facebook, um, Facebook earnings yesterday came out, and boy, uh, has that excited the markets. Yeah, they're they're up quite a bit. There, um, so what are they? They had a earning of nineteen cents, and the expectation was fourteen fourteen cents. I have I have um, I have all the numbers in front of me. Being uh, loving all the numbers of big companies, I have them in front of me. So, quarter, quarter one. I mean, the big exciting aspect of the numbers was the increase in mobile revenue. Um, which mm. about a year ago didn't even feature. So quarter one mobile revenue was 375 million. Quarter two, is the mobile revenue has, which is the most recent quarter, has been 656 million. So that is nearly, um, you know, it's nearly a doubling of the yeah, revenue. That's, it's massive. It's pretty impressive. It's massive. Yep. The total revenue for quarter two is 1.81 billion. And the estimated revenue was 1.62 billion. So, I mean, the market, when you exceed um, targets, the markets just love that. They just absolutely mm. love that. And when, you, and when you and don't hit your targets, they just shred you. So, of course, the share price bounced up 30%. And it's uh, closed today in New York at 30%. Wow, 30%. Yeah. Wow, that's huge. It's massive. It's it's closed in New York to uh, today, just over thirty four dollars. Of course, Facebook is still trading at a at a massive PE ratio, about forty six times um, earnings. Where Yahoo's sitting at about seven times, Google at about twenty six times. So it's still there's still a lot of expectation and a lot of um, you know promise projected onto Facebook. But boy, this has definitely been a step in the right direction. Definitely, yeah. Look, I mean, uh, it, it shows that they're you know making some real headway into to mobile as well. Um, what what do you think's driven that huge increase? I haven't like personally, I don't really know of any major changes they've made. Do you reckon it's just sort of organic growth of the mobile advertising? There was a terrific um, graphic that was shared on Twitter yesterday. I'll put it in the show notes where they map desktop minutes of Facebook versus mobile minutes of Facebook. And the desktop minutes are trending down and the mobile minutes are exploding up. So I, yeah. think, I think it's just literally uh, time on Facebook, on mobile that has mm -hmm. changed. There have been very little product changes. I mean, obviously, they're iterating on their app, etc. But there has, as far as I'm aware, there has been nothing dramatic that has changed. It's just that the, the transfer to use via the mobile has been a lot quicker than anyone you know even thought it would be. Yeah, yeah, no, that they're doing they're doing very well. Um, you know, lots of people I think were very uh, suspicious of what Facebook would do with mobile, whether they'd be able to capitalize on it. And it's, it's good to see you know they can build a business off it. It's uh, I think it's promising for a lot of other companies that have been struggling with the the mobile space. So yeah, no, it's great, great stuff. I I've always been bullish about Facebook. I'm on record that I'm bullish about Facebook. And um, I feel my ego feels a little bit vindicated because with a lot of my <laughs> friends, we've been having this debate and I'm just like, 
Uh, I love telling you I told you so. But look, time time will definitely tell. As we've discussed many times, you know, I feel that there's a still many um, points of monetization left in Facebook. Um, I'm still bullish, and I would still personally buy more shares um, in Facebook. So anyway, that's Facebook. Amazon um, it was also releasing the results today. I haven't had a chance to look at them. Um, Amazon, of course, is quite uh, Jeff Bezos of the CEO and founder of Amazon. He's quite infamous in, in, you know, stating he doesn't really care what the quarterly results are. He's in there for a much longer term vision. But ultimately, profit does need to be made somewhere, somehow. Interestingly, James, you'd be interested in this. I saw a a story pop up on my feed over the last day that, um, that Amazon beat IBM on some government, U.S. government tender for cloud services computing worth $600 million. Yeah, I did, did hear a little bit about that. Um, yeah, who was it? They beat IBM. Yeah, that, that's, that's interesting. I think um, they've been doing a lot of work to to bring their infrastructure up to whatever the government level requirements are, um, probably so they can start bidding on these government level contracts because I imagine they're incredibly lucrative. Um and yeah, I mean, Amazon's always had a policy of, you know, keeping the price super low. You know, they're, they're always cutting their their service costs. So I'd imagine, you know, they can probably outbid pretty much anybody in the in the market, really. Um, and I would imagine they're probably not gouging the U.S. government as much as uh, as much as other companies would. So yeah, and and um, I mean, wow, what, what a deal size! I mean, imagine uh, it's, it's it's you know it's a, a huge deal. But the good news for companies like ours and other people involved in the startup ecosystem is that the benefits of improved security, improved technology, more robust security, that trickles down to to levels that we use their systems at in some shape, manner, or form. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. No, it definitely comes through. You know, the security and stuff would definitely be something that we would take benefit of, you know, being customers of Amazon. So, yeah, definitely, definitely helps everybody. And, of course, you spoke at the Amazon, what, what do they call it, S3 conference or... Uh, it's the AWS, oh, AWS Summit. Summits. Um, yeah. Um, AWS stands for Amazon Web Services. So you spoke at, um, and you gave a talk about um, how we use some of Amazon services last week at this conference in Singapore. Yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. It was quite a quite an interesting experience. Probably the well, definitely the largest uh, event I've ever spoken at. So yeah, no, it's very very interesting. How, how many how many people in the audience? Uh, it's quite a few hundred, probably probably six hundred, some seven hundred, something like that. So that's a, that's a pretty decent sized audience. Of course, you are not factoring in though the audience that listens to you on this podcast, which may not be face to face, but um, we all know that's that it's true. more than six yeah. seven hundred. <laughs> that is true. I hadn't even thought about it. <laughs> that's much more scary now. <laughs> but somehow, somehow, when you're facing them, you know, when you said it's the largest audience you spoke to, somehow, for some other reason, my bar mitzvah popped into my head when I was 13. And you get up there and you're facing all these people, half of which you don't know, and it is uh, it is quite daunting. And is it on YouTube yet? It's still not. No, it's not yet. I mean, they they were recording it, so it'll probably go up. But uh, yeah, not not yet. I think they're probably taking a bit of a bit of a holiday after the conference for for processing it all. It's okay. Well, we'll definitely share it on this podcast um, and and let people know and and hear hear you. And of course, if you're listening to this podcast, send us feedback, send us emails, tweet us, Monkey Podcast, follow us on Facebook. Um, we love hearing from you. If you are listening to us while using Managed Flutter. Take a second and tweet us. Uh, let us know um, that you're listening to us. We love hearing from you. Second big story, of course, Jay-Z, Spotify, and all of that. There was a lot of press last week about um, you know bestsellers not making money on Spotify. And, and it feels like Napster all over again, James. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting, you know, a lot of the press about, um, you know, people not making a lot of money. I mean, when you actually look at the figures, it's, um, it's not always apples to oranges. So I think people are very, um, unnecessarily pessimistic, pessimistic about a lot of this stuff. But, um, yeah, no, it was interesting. It sounds like he's, he's, he broke the highest, uh, streamed record. Was that, was that the record that Jay-Z broke? Yeah, it was the highest, highest number of streams of any, of any record. Um, I've got it here somewhere. Is that in the first week? Um, 
I, I don't know if it's... Do you have that article up there in front of you? Yeah, I do actually. I'm just looking through it myself. Um, Billboard 200, thanks to plenty of publicity. Um, yeah, sales. not sure. Anyway, I'll, I'll take it up. But it, oh, here we go. The album is doing well via streaming. So after the Jay-Z one... Um, the Daft Punk and Mumford and Sons are the two biggest uh, yep. streams, 9.5 million and 8 million. But Jay-Z pulled a record 14 million streams mm-hmm. during the, um, the week of the release. Of course, that was bundled in with the new Samsung and a Samsung, a Samsung app. So there was terrific marketing around that. Um, and... As someone cynically tweeted me, if Jay-Z spent more effort on making this album than marketing this album, perhaps the album would sound a little bit better. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> I, I'm quite disappointed. As a, as, a, as a relatively strong Jay-Z fan, I'm pretty disappointed with, with this album, musically, that is, not, yeah. not, not marketing. Have you listened to it? Are you a Jay-Z fan? I, I have listened to it. I did um, actually. It was quite interesting when it launched. Um, Spotify did one of their their alerts, sort of letting everybody know it had, it launched. Um, so I didn't know anything about it till I received that that um, alert. And yeah, I did listen through it. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not personally a Jay Z fan. I'm not. Um, you know, that's not really my. That's the one genre I'm not sort of. I don't regularly listen to. So you know, I don't really have very much to judge it based on. Um, but yeah, I didn't particularly like it for what it for what it was. Yeah, I, I was quite surprised. But I mean, and this isn't a music podcast, so we won't get into the whole thing. But I was just, <laughs> I was just, I was just a little bit surprised why he he uh, he just seemed to crank up the misogyny on it, and I don't know, it was just a really peculiar. And um, he just he brought you know he brought himself down a level, in my opinion. But look, there's a lot of expectation on an artist like that, so. So who knows? But um, I know I not do. as good as the um, the Daft Punk album launch. You yeah, of course you're you're a huge Daft Punk fan. Um, you, how's their new album? How do you rate their new album? Yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's great. It's um, you know there was a lot of expectation behind it, uh, but yeah, I think it's definitely up there. It's definitely one of their one of their best albums. Probably not not the best, but um, yeah, it's got it's got a lot of really good tracks, and the fact they you know managed to break. You know, into the number one uh, spot with "Get Lucky." You know, in a lot of places. Yeah, I think they. I think they did really well. I think their classic album. I don't even know what it's called, but I've got the CD cover emblazoned in my head. That very famous CD cover. Um, Is that the one with the red, the red Daft Punk writing? On yeah, it? yeah. I mean that. That yeah, that's a, called either. That's a classic album. I mean, I've always loved yeah. that album. That's just a fantastic, legendary album. So. Uh, and of course, um, Tom York tweeted out that he's pulling um, his his songs from Spotify as well, and um, as a in protest. And you know, I mean, I don't know. You can see it two ways. You know, I mean, he's denying his fans, and doesn't he have enough money as it is? But you can also see it's in solidarity with other artists that need the money. Yeah. Look, I mean, yeah. Look, it's it's a little bit crazy. I mean, I think uh, you know people. I think the reason why it seems like they're getting paid so little is that Spotify can actually count every single individual user who actually listens to the service. Whereas with point. things like radio, you, you're sort of paying for plays and you can't count those users. So like the numbers, they just, you can't compare a play on a radio station to a play on Spotify. It's, you know, it's completely different things. So the numbers, it looks like you're getting paid a whole lot less, but the reality is, um, yeah, you're really you're really getting paid, you know, sort of comparably if you if you sort of do the numbers a different way. So yeah, it's very much a case of perspective. I think. I think that's a very good point, and um, you know, though Spotify is still very cheap in my view. I mean, it's ten dollars a month for a premium account for one device. Mm. I I think that's very cheap. I mean, I think a simple solution. If I was the CEO, I would uh, I would up the price. I mean, even if they up the price a couple of dollars. Um, yeah, even from a marketing it is, move, it would be quite a good marketing move. Yeah, I mean, even if they had an even a higher level premium product, because I think they their bottom one, at least in Australian dollars, it's sort of seven dollars, and then the next one is twelve dollars. Um, and yeah, I actually updated my 
uh, subscription the other day because um, I had to update my credit card. And, you know, I was thinking then it's one of the few services that I really do. I'm prepared to pay sort of that monthly fee other than sort of, you know, my mobile phone and internet access, um, kind of like access to, to music streaming is really the one other sort of core entertainment thing that I use pretty much every day and I'm, I'm willing to sort of pay quite a premium for it. So, yeah, I think they probably could do some interesting stuff pricing-wise there. I think they might, though, still not be sold on their own business model. Of course, you know, Silicon Valley loves the advertising business models because they scale so well. And, and yeah, I, I yeah. don't know if maybe one of the reasons they're holding the price down is they still might just pull the plug on it one day and just go, sorry, you've got to, you've got to go advertising. Yeah, very possibly, yeah, yeah. Anyway, you're listening to episode 24 of the It's a Monkey podcast. James, I think we're nearly up to a year worth of podcasts. We need a double check. Yeah, wow. Must be the monkey. It's a monkey birthday. It's your birthday. It's a monkey (laughs) birthday. (laughs) We'll have to do a birthday edition of the podcast. (laughs) Definitely. We'll, um, we'll, We'll get you to sing a multitude of happy birthday songs. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about that. Um. We're going to go to a short break, and then I chatted to Jess Domain, who is a successful singer-songwriter in New York. Um, I actually bumped into her through Manage Flitter. She's a Manage Flitter user, and I asked her if she wanted to have a chat about the music industry. And it's a little bit of a longer-form interview, and we meander, but and it's not so technical, but I thought it might make a little bit of a change. So we're going to a break, and we'll back with you. We'll be back with you shortly after the break. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by CheckDog. Use CheckDog to easily review and monitor your website for spelling errors, broken links, and broken images, all with the push of one button. CheckDog can also automatically monitor your website and notify you of newly introduced spelling errors. Go to CheckDog.com forward slash podcast to receive 50% off your first month subscription. CheckDog.com helping the world's leading websites keep their content error-free. In your cereal, at the bottom of the bowl, in your neighborhood, at the end of the long road, in your baby's eyes, deep down in his soul. It's hiding, it's hiding, it's hiding. You're back on the It's a Monkey podcast. You're listening to Kevin Garber. Thanks very much. You are coming, I am coming to you from New York City, East Village. And with me, I have a real life singer songwriter called Jess Domain. And, and the song you actually listen to is one of her songs, a rare version, uh, and a rare acoustic version of a song called You Got the Love. So with me is Jess Domain, who's a singer and songwriter in New York. Now, I met Jess a couple of weeks ago when um, I was connecting with a few managed Flitter users, and Jess is a managed Flitter user. And what intrigued me about Jess is that Jess is a singer-songwriter in New York, an artist in New York that makes a living from her craft, which is something that is not that common in New York. There's a lot of uh, artists and singer-songwriters and painters, but a lot of them struggle to make a living. Now... If you've followed the press this week, the tech press, there's been a lot of talk about Spotify, Pandora, um, all of, uh, um, you know, the new models of music. So I thought instead of getting the tech side, which we talk a lot about the tech side, the business side, I thought I'd actually get the artist's um, perspective. So with me is Jess. Jess, thanks very much for joining us on the podcast. All right. Happy to be here. Great song, by the way. Thank you. Thank you so much. So Jess, um, let's, where do we start? This week, Jay-Z broke all records, Spotify records, that um, he had the largest number of full streams ever on Spotify, 14 million full streams. Now, now surprisingly, um, do you know how much he earned from that? Just ballpark, take a guess from those streams. Well, I heard, and I don't know if... What if my information is correct, but I heard that you make one-tenth of a penny for each stream, something like that? Well, I was quite surprised to earn. Apparently, there's some sort of tiered structure on Spotify. Oh, okay. But I was surprised to, earn that they, uh, to learn that they estimate that he only made between half a million and a million dollars from 14 million streams. Mm. Okay. Now, now, on the face of it, obviously, that's a lot of money. But for 14 million streams, um, you would think that that would be a lot more so... 
um, you know, I thought it would be a good opportunity to, to talk a little bit about Spotify. And of course, a couple of days ago, well, um, Tom York said that he's putting putting all his solo work out of Spotify. Mm-hmm. Um, and he tweeted some, some rants about how the model sucks, etc., etc. So tell us, as an artist, as an artist that makes a living from music, um, what is your industry's perspective? What is your perspective? What's the solution? Um, it feels like we're experiencing Napster all over again. It does feel like that, doesn't it? <laughs> um, I'd say I can only really speak for myself. Um, I try to put my music on television and in films because it's that's where I, I can make my money licensing. And there's sync fees and then there's back-end fees and then there's PRO fees that you can make off of that. When it comes to Spotify and Pandora, anytime I get my BMI checks, which I love getting, but <laughs> anytime I get those, um, those are all very small numbers I mean, it's great to see them add up, but they don't really, they don't, they don't pay the bills. There was an, another article last week where the, the writer of the song Heaven is a Place on Earth, who mm-hmm. that song actually won a Grammy, uh-huh. um, made some notes here. Um, on Pandora, it's been played three million times, and for those three million plays, she only got $40. Oh, my gosh. That's crazy. So she wrote an article that was published, um, I think, on Pando Daily, which is one of the tech blogs, although I stand to be corrected. Um, now, I mean, it, you know, I, I reflect a lot about these issues. Is it, is it time for the music industry? Are, are, they fighting, are, you, are they fighting a losing battle? Is the music industry forced to work out a new business model for itself? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, it just seems like the bottom kind of fell out and people are really scrounging to find a new way to be able to make money when they make music. Um, that's why a lot of people are just doing it the indie route because why sign over your publishing when you're not making anything in return? And even if you do make something, then you're only making 50% of it if you sign with a publisher. So it's like you really like have to think like a business person when you're when you're making well once you've made the music not while you're making the music of course but um you know it's it's um it's it's a tough call because it's really about educating the public and letting people know how expensive it is to make music because it really to, is to tell us a little bit about that i mean i, I think um, a lot of people that aren't in the creative industries there's a little bit of a sense of entitlement that if you create art you got to do it for the love of it and you shouldn't be greedy and you should, you know, art belongs to those that want it and need it, not those that make it. So, so just tell us as a musician, why, when you say it's expensive, I mean, obviously there's opportunity costs, but talk us through a little bit what your life's like. Well, um, I have to look at studio time and expenses and even down to having a nice microphone to write my music and record my voice in a nice way when I'm at home with my home studio um you know it's you know you have to spend hundreds of dollars on all this stuff you have to stay up to date with with different plugins and pro recording programs and then you have to educate yourself on how to become an engineer if you aren't an engineer already and then you're the artist as well so you're doing you're putting on all these different hats uh, for someone like me that co-writes a lot with a lot of people, I'll, I'll work with people that have studios or work in a studio or, you know, I try to find people that have complementary um, complementary skills to mine so we can come together and make music for less in less expensive ways and then I make my mission to go and get it licensed. Um, but, you know, you can rent a studio anywhere from $35 an hour up to thousands of dollars an hour. It really depends on the quality of the studio and where you are in the country, well, in America at least. But it adds up. It really adds up. It can, I mean, you can spend $5,000 or $10,000 on an EP or even a full CD. If you keep it all digital, you can keep your costs down, but then people are instantly sharing it with their friends and that's less money that you're making when when people are are sharing it so as a as a newer artist like i am you want everybody to know about your music and that's but you also have to be able to eat so it's really a toss-up you got to figure out what you know what's important 
Eating, um, yeah. <laughs> You're not setting the bar very high there, but um, well, you know, I mean, you, when when you are an artist, there's there's like, you can have expectations, and say, oh, I want to be a bazillionaire and I want to win Grammys and I want to be on on you know playing at Madison Square Garden. I happen to live close to Madison Square Garden. I think about playing there all the time, <laughs> but you know, there's. You can, and then you can also say, "Well, I just make I make music for the love of making music." That's really where it all stems. So, being able to wake up every day and do what I love, I feel very fortunate. But sure, you know, money money struggles come in when when I put out an EP like right now. I'm thinking about doing an Indiegogo or something like that to be able to help me do the marketing of my music, because getting people to know that I'm out there, um, you know, to be able to make a music, a great music video, a really cool, interesting piece of art to go along with the, the, the audio, um, to have the visual there because everybody goes to YouTube now. Um, all those things you have to take into, into consideration so much when you're an independent artist, you know, um, from being your own, own business manager to licensing your music to making the music to, you know, in all aspects um, that surround that. So it's, it's a lot. So if you take some of the big artists like Jay-Z or Coldplay or U2, and you, if you take their net annual revenue, mm-hmm. um, what would be the bulk of their profitable revenue? Would it be from touring and merchandise? Oh, I think so, definitely now. I mean, back in the day, they say they said it was, you know, they could sell records or CDs or cassettes or whatever the the mode was at that point in time, and they they knew that they were going to be able to make a certain amount of money from the hard copies. And now they don't have that. That whole revenue stream is pretty much gone. Not not a lot of people buy CDs. I don't even really buy very many CDs, you know. And I do like the streaming stuff online to listen to new artists and to get, uh, you know, Pandora with their radio stations and they bring up new artists that I haven't heard of before and things like that. Those those services are really pretty cool, but it's just about making sure that the artists get paid enough. You know, the smaller and medium artists, I think. Have you heard of um, the, Apple, the Apple iTunes radio? Apparently, they've promised that their revenue model is going to be very generous towards the musicians. Oh, I haven't heard of it, but I'm happy to hear that. <laughs> I mean, I, I think the record companies and record labels, they've really let the artists down. Uh, I, I feel that they've, you know, they should be in on the deal. You know, the TV industry has been a lot better with owning things like Hulu and things like that, where mm-hmm. they, you know, they, they should be owning things like Spotify and um, Pandora and Audio and... and Absolutely. And, I agree. And... And, and they should be part of part of the food chain. Yeah, that's a great. That's right there. It solves a lot of problems for them to be have their they're creating the pie instead of trying to put their finger in the pie. You know, they're they're owning the pie. Like everybody can come to this one source that Sony has or that you know um, Def Jam has or whoever it might be. They have this service, and then people go there for the artists. Maybe that would maybe that would solve things. But it seems like kind of like the wild wild west. Everybody's just throwing out these new um, you know these new websites and these new streaming ways of streaming music, and then everybody jumps on it and then it dies, and then everybody jumps on something else and then it dies, and ultimately our, I find out from people that I have a Pandora station. I didn't even know that I had one. Until someone told me. But you know what I think what's frustrating from a music fans? I mean, I, I'm a music nut. And mm-hmm. what's frustrating is we want to do the right thing. But at the, yeah. sa- at, the, at the same time, we want the convenience. I mean, Spotify is just, you know, sensational. I just, I just live on it. Mm-hmm. But I'm not totally happy if my favorite artists, particularly I like a lot of indie music, obscure music, and if if they're not getting the right um, cut of the pie, I don't even know how to access some of this stuff besides on Spotify or iTunes. Yeah, then then you're really as the the artist, we've left it up to Spotify and iTunes to to make sure that we get paid. Really, you know, so it's it's like educating the public and and making sure that the public understands that they when they pay. They're not paying Spotify. They're actually supporting the artist by by paying for a service like that. I mean, I've just thought of a great plugin that we could develop for Spotify, which would be mm-hmm. terrific. I mean, if Spotify could make it transparent what they're paying the artist. So if I was, say, listening to one of your songs on Spotify mm-hmm. and it was saying, 
you know, Jess Domain is getting 0.001 cent for this stream, mm. click here to donate. Mm, that's a good idea. And um, I know a lot of the indie artists, and maybe even if, it, even if it was transparent and said how much you've made this month on that song or mm. in total, and maybe sort of crowdsource a little bit of revenue from... Um, from the fan base. I mean, there's there's um, there's that musician from the Dresden Dolls. I'm sure you're oh, familiar yeah. with her, Amanda Palmer. Yep. Have you seen her TED Talk? I did. I saw it. I was very impressed. So she crowdsources a lot of her funding, doesn't she? Yeah. But she also had the advantage of already being signed on a major. Right. So she had a fan base. So she started with, you know, she, she started that, that whole process with, with, you know, a leg up. If you haven't, if you're listening and you haven't heard Amanda Palmer's talk at TED Talk, she speaks about how, you know, being a being an indie artist in the age of um, crowdfunding and um, Twitter and um, and she's a fantastic performer. I think she was in the press this week about um, something happened and she was at Glastonbury and her top came off or something. I didn't I didn't quite drill down. Do you know anything about that? I didn't hear about that. No, but it sounds pretty funny. Have, <laughs> have you been to Glastonbury? No, I haven't. I'd love to go. I've, I've heard it's crazy. I've heard, I've heard it's, um, you know, 150,000 people mud fest every year. Wow. I would love to play it. That would be amazing. Well, um, <laughs> when you win that Grammy, which we know, you, which we know you're going to win. Um, so are you currently on, I mean, if, if someone's listening to this podcast and they want to do the right thing and listen to you, how do they do it? Well, I'm on SoundCloud. Um, but I, but that's free, right? Yeah, that's free. That's streaming. Um, I am. You, you got to eat, Jess. I know. I got to eat, right? <laughs> um, Pandora, Spotify, SoundCloud, um, and then a million others that I actually didn't put a list together today to tell you where they were. But see, that's what's ba- sometimes musicians we're just bad with that stuff. It's like we're we're more concentrating on making the music, and and the other end is like. It's nice if other people take care of that. <laughs> and that's where um, that's where managers and record labels traditionally <laughs> came into play, right? Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, th- I think they just they keep like is it they keep aggregating like keep everything like they seem to borrow tracks from one website and then they make a deal with another website. I, I get emails all the time about say yes if you opt in for this service and then all of a sudden I'm on another website and just they just keep growing and growing and growing because I think everybody's trying to figure out how to make money right now in music. What type of analytics do you get from Pandora and Spotify? Do you get, um, you know, what countries listen to you, how long they listen to you, if they listen to you for the full track? Do you get any sort of at least interesting stats from them? Um, not super. I mean, it's mostly U.S. because that's just where you know, where I'm concentrated, mostly New York, because that's where I, I play, um, sometimes in the L.A. area, but really kind of on the coasts for right now, um, but mostly America for me. So they don't, um, uh, I mean, in terms of, um, you don't ever look at the stats and think, wow, that's interesting, or um, you find some sort of, I mean, has the internet helped you access markets that you would have never been able to access if the internet didn't exist? Oh, absolutely. Even on Twitter um, last week, I got a private message from one of the people that I'm connected with there, and he said, is this just domain that sings Found My Soul? And I said, I replied, yes. Uh, Why do you ask? (laughs) With a smiley face. And he said, um, he goes, you're a diva in Egypt. So there you go, and they f- and they found you just somehow through Twitter, I think. And um, I thought it was pretty funny. So he said the DJs play me there in Egypt. So I, I know that people take tracks, and a lot of times my voice is uh, can is pretty good for for DJ remixes. So um, yeah, that was really fun to find out. We got to get you a T-shirt that says <laughs> "I'm famous in Egypt." <laughs> right. <laughs> so how important is Twitter to you um, as a marketing tool? It's my favorite, for sure. Well, that's why we met, too. Um, it's my favorite. I love it. It's it's so great because it's so simple and quick. And I think that whatever you put out, whatever you put out there, you get back in return quickly. Like, if you're in a good mood, you get people that, that respond quickly that, that are are reflecting back how you feel 
um, and you get um, just meet some really cool people too. I've met some amazing people. Send me artwork. Um, they send me their own songs. They want to co-write. They want to do all these different things, and it's just because they follow me on Twitter and they see that I like to kind of I'm most active on that, more, much more so than Facebook. I mean, it sounds like crowdsourcing sort of Amanda Palmer stuff for you would be incredibly successful. You've got a, you've, you've got a pretty big, I mean, I think you've got about 30,000 followers or 50,000 followers? Yeah, about 30 right now. And um, I love it. It's so, much, it's so much fun to see the numbers go up and then be able to read everybody's really cool feeds. And just, it's exciting to do. And, and, have it, and be able to take it with me on my phone and check it out while I'm you know, traveling and on the road and stuff. It's really fun to stay connected. But when they play you in Egypt, you're not getting any royalties, right? <laughs> no. <laughs> I know that, I mean, I was on BBC Radio for a remix um, last fall, too, and I'm not sh- I don't think I got any royalty for that either. Man, it's, it's yeah, look, it's, it's not an easy industry. It's, um, you, really, you really have to do it for the, love, for the love of it. Absolutely, yeah. It's, well, the song, that one song, Found My Soul, I mean, it's just, it's, I think music and the arts are really every day. It's your, it's my job to be inspired and to be inspiring, but but to really get inspired every day. And there's no job that could be better. How do you stay inspired? I look around, talk to you, talk to people on the street, go to museums. Um, I would you know, and just uh, connecting with people on Twitter is really inspiring. I love that. Um, and and I I just love living in New York City walking around New York City is is inspiring every single day I think uh, yeah New York is it's quite easy to feel expansive in New York I think even um, even the homeless people here I find uh, they quirky and have an edge and um, <laughs> are quite approachable as as crazy as that sounds yeah yeah New York is a city that is a mirror to you uh, no if you're in a crappy mood you get crappy people. If you're in a beautiful mood and you're and you feel as light as a white puffy cloud, you're gonna get people like that. It's it reflects back to you in like a matter of a second, just once by stepping out your front door. Tell us your top twi- tips for Twitter. I mean, you, you've obviously built up a Twitter fan base and you engage a lot with them. Just tell us some of your techniques and tools and you, you know um, approach to Twitter. Um, I guess what you put out is what you get back. So stay positive. I, I do not like reading negative tweets. And I mean, people have, not just people's opinions are great, and that's fine, but, but when people are just haters, I try to stay away from those. Um, but uh, I really, when I am, when you ask me when I, how I stay uh, inspired, things that I find inspiring, I like to share. So I really like to share that, and, and people respond to that, because I think people are looking for inspiration and for for positive things every day and so if I can bring a little bit of that to people it makes me super happy and you probably the only actually are the only managed Flitter user that has been interviewed on this show right. so we we actually we we try to stay clear away of um, self-promotion and things like that but I I am going to ask you what you use managed Flitter for up until now Um, Well, you know, I like to keep tabs on who's following me, who unfollows me and things like that, because I want to I want to keep an even playing field, really. So I look through that and it's just so fast and so easy to use. And it's so visually so easy to use. I love it. We, we can do this contra deal where I listen to your songs and I don't have to pay for them. And, you know, we'll give you a deal on the Managed Flutter subscription. <laughs> that sounds great. Deal. Let's shake. So tell us what's uh, – give us a scoop about uh, Jess Domain, which uh, I'm – you know, I listened to your work when I first – when we first connected. And um, I consider myself um, someone who knows a little bit about music. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I think your work's really tight and really polished. Thank you, I appreciate that. And um, tell us, I mean, what's you know, give us the scoop on um, new singles, albums, what's happening? Yeah, I'm in the middle of doing an EP right now. I went to Norway, just got back from Norway a couple months ago, and so um, just uploading and downloading and uploading and downloading these tracks with um, my friends over at Crystal Air Music in um, on the west coast of, of Norway. So we're working on that EP right now and hopefully it'll be done by the end of the summer, early fall. And it's 
um, a collection of really beautiful so um, sounds and songs and messages of uh, kind of what I've been thinking about currently and for 2013 pretty much. What do you prefer? Pro Tools, um, Audio um, Logic Pro, what's the other one? Cubase. What, what, what are some of your tools that you use? Uh, at home, I use I use Logic. In the studios, it kind of just depends on what they have. I'll use Pro Tools or Logic, whatever they have. Um, I have never used Cubase. I've, I've seen it, but I don't I don't know the interface or anything how to use that. We use Logic for this podcast. It took me a little while to get into, um, but uh, now I pretty much like it. And what um, we usually use Sure mics for the podcast as well. Ah. What, what what mics uh, do you use? Uh, well, I have my old trusty dusty SM58, but um, but what I really record with is uh, I have a really nice Neumann that my uh, parents and my brother gave me for my birthday a long time ago. It's, um, it's actually quite a technical industry. I, mean, I don't know if people realize how technical, oh, yeah. especially re recording. Oh, absolutely. It is. It really is. It's When you're an engineer, when you're a music engineer, you're an engineer. You're a sound engineer. Um, when you, I can get into some of these studios in New York when people hire me to come in and do demos or, or sing on a project for them or I'm working with a, um, friends that are, are winning you know, Grammys for their mixes and these amazing things. I go into the studio and they are just, they're like spaceships. <laughs> but the, space, the, the funny thing is the spaceships keep getting smaller and smaller. <laughs> yeah. You know what I find fascinating is, is um, listening you know, to documentaries about classic albums like Dark Side of the Moon oh, or, yeah. or Fleetwood Mac and, and you know, like for Dark Side of the Moon where you, where you hear how they, they uh, did their redubs and things like that. In those days, it was obviously all analog and how technically they, they physically pushed the boundaries on their mm. equipment is really interesting. Whereas now with digital, it's just, I mean, it's... it's yeah, I can, I can write songs in my little studio apartment and, uh, you know, in Hell's Kitchen and like come out and it'll end up on tv which is crazy right <laughs> and you can collaborate so easily as well right yeah, yeah definitely people can come over we can co-write there i can go to a studio and we can co-write at, at bmg in their in their songwriting studio there um, but i mean even co-writing um, not in the same place you just you just send all, uh, logic files across oh. to each other yeah, definitely, and that's what I'm doing with Norway now. Once I got back from Norway, we've, we're just um, sending things back and forth now, the files, and I'll, I'll sing the vocals here in a studio, and then we send them back to Norway. They check them out. They, do, you know, they start to produce them, so it's, um, it's amazing. It's really cool. Then we can Skype while we're in the studio um, and, and give each other kind of our opinions on certain pieces of the music, and it's, it makes it so convenient. I actually, um, another managed user, user that I met last week, she invited me to a party last week where um, Jay-Z's engineer was DJing. <laughs> Have you ever met him? I'm sure he has like probably a hundred engineers, but um, yeah, I, I, haven't, don't, I, haven't met, I, I don't know who that is though. Come on, don't don't take away from my, um, <laughs> you know, my, I, I thought this was quite a, you know, unique experience. <laughs> well... I mean, it kind of depends on the studio, how many engineers work at the studio. And on each album, you might have a few different engineers. So, I did once also sit next to, on a plane from San Francisco to New York. I sat next to Kanye West's main engineer's wife. <laughs> you know, there's a saying once that said there is no... I'm trying to remember the exact saying. It was really good. They, um, something like the... Um, there's, it was some paraphrasing, but it was something like um, the worst type of achievement is name dropping or something oh, like geez. that. You know, just saying that, you know, when people think they're so great at name dropping, it's, it's just the lowest form of success. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, usually people that have money don't talk about it. And usually people that know people don't talk about them. About the people well, I, I, obviously, right? I obviously don't know about it. You know, <laughs> I don't, don't know about anything. James and I, who's, um, you know, in, uh, now he's my uh, co-founder and podcast co-presenter. We always joke um, about um, Davos. You know Davos, where all the, the world leaders once a year get invited oh. to Davos. And we always, we ha you know, we jokingly say, oh, yeah, and then you know, it's similar to that guy at Davos. You know, <laughs> when we were at Davos. And it's like, you know, we're just small-time little Australian um, 
entrepreneurs. But it, yeah, look, 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 he was a very friendly guy. I got a photo with him and, um, <laughs> you know, at least it makes for fun conversation with my friends in Australia. Absolutely. Oh, that's one great thing about New York. You can walk around the corner and see someone famous in two seconds, you know. Um, so as a final thought, if someone's listening to this, this podcast and they would like to make a living from music, what are some of your tips that you would give them? Write really good songs. <laughs> That's number one. Um, love what you do. Um, possibly partner up with people that sync music to TV and film. And then cross your fingers and hope that Spotify and Pandora and all these people get together and start paying the artists what they deserve. I think um, we got to change the model with some sort of crowdfunding, donating, transparency thing. There's an opportunity there. Fans all want to do the right thing. They really, most fans do want to do the right thing. Yeah, I think so. Well, you know, Amanda Palmer said that too, um, that people, they, they feel like they're they're being loyal to the artist it's not like they're giving money to a record label anymore they want to see the artist one-on-one person to person um succeed when they buy your record they don't buy your cd because they want another piece of plastic in their house they buy it because they want to really support the artist now and so it's almost like bringing making it a little more authentic in a way because people aren't just buying like you know some some random CD because they want to have it in their you know in a CD holder along the wall in their living room, they they want to get to know the artist. It's more of you know just as if you call a customer service line and you um, don't get like great customer service. Now you can go on LinkedIn and talk to the president of the company directly. You know now people feel like they can talk to the president talk to the musician directly you know they can get them on twitter they can get them on somewhere they can find them online somewhere and when they feel like they've got that connection and then i think they want to support them you know so i mean you know i mean when i see um very small bands and very small performers lives which i do i mean they're really small um talking about sometimes 10 or 20 people in the audience mm-hmm. I, I you know i'm not making myself out to be a martyr but I, I i make it an absolute rule if i vaguely enjoy them mm-hmm. always to buy their either merchandise or cd i think philosophically and just you know it's important to support these people because they the indie side of the industry as well is a very important side of the industry. I mean, that's mm-hmm. where, you, you know, a lot of the fresh creativity, yeah. they've got the creative freedom to do to do what they really want to do. Yeah, because you're going to come up with new sounds if you don't have to, if you don't have all of these music executives around you telling you what to do. You know, you're just going to be making music and gathering up the sounds from the streets, you know, when you're an indie, when you're an indie musician. That's what makes it so much fun. A lot of people have always gone, oh, you have so many different styles. How do, you, how do you define yourself? Are you a songwriter? Are you a singer? What do you do? What's your style? And really, I've just been growing as, a, as an artist through my life, and I never cared about what style I did. The song dictates the style that it is. So I've done so many different things, and I can sound so many different ways, but it's, and, but it's because I just kind of let myself be really free when I make my music. I don't try to, like, pigeonhole it. Um... You're such a hippie. <laughs> My parents were hippies. Maybe it's finally rubbing off. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and you know, just around the corner here, I mean, we're in the East Village, that there's something called um, Penny's Open Mic Night. Have you ever been? I haven't been to that open mic, but I've been to plenty of plenty of others so if you're listening and you're coming to new york or you're in new york i really it's one of my favorite open mics it goes from about 8 p.m to about i don't know 2 3 4 a.m it's in the east in st mark's place and it's um you know it's it's a real sense of that indie fresh and the quality is exceptional that's yeah there are so many new york on every street you're gonna find amazing music it is that's one thing that i love about new york if you love a million different things you can do any of it here and it kind of forces you to choose sometimes because there are only so many hours in the day so you really get to know yourself even more while you're here because you go huh i really like jazz and i i I haven't heard jazz in so long what should i where should i go what should i and then you have 10 different kinds of jazz to pick from at eight o'clock that night you know so it's pretty cool to experiment and see kind of like what life can 
you know, reveal, you know, it's, and New York offers that every day, all day long. Yeah, look, if, if uh, you haven't been to New York yet, it is, <laughs> I, I think we're very blessed that we live in a time where a city like New York actually exists. It, it is truly a real testament to, to humanity and what happens when people get together sometimes. Mm-hmm. What do you think of um, City Bike? I love being on my own bike. I've always had my my bike with me. Even living in my tiny little New York apartments, I'll figure out a way to get my bike into my apartment. Um, So I think it's great for people. You know, people in New York walk a lot, um, but it's also nice just to be able to cruise around on a bike, go through Central Park. Um, I think it's really great. I um, I don't know why people would be mad about city bikes unless you owned a bike shop and they put it right in front of your store. Um, I don't think that it's a bad thing. I think it's a great thing. But even then, I think there's a lot of people that are going to re- uh, discover biking and eventually buy their own bike. So it's probably yeah. going to stimulate the industry. I hope so. Biking is amazing. I'm a huge fan. I love mountain biking. So. And last but most important question, this Friday and this Saturday night, Jay-Z is going to be playing. Can you organize me a backstage pass? <laughs> I could make a phone call for you, sure. Here you have it on the record. Um, Jay Z from uh, last week was his, you know, engineer and this this little small time entrepreneur from Australia. It just shows you anything's possible, right? That's very true. Anything is possible. I saw him in Sydney a couple of years ago and he put on a fantastic show. I think seeing him in Brooklyn, which is where he's from, would be pretty special. Yeah, and Beyonce is playing in August too uh, at the Barclays Center. Yeah, I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of her or Justin Timberlake, who I know is is mm. uh, headlining with um, Jay Z. But um, Jay Z, although, what do you think of his new album? Have you heard it yet? I have not heard it. I've I've been kind of looking at the headlines about it, which to me is a little annoying. But I'll listen to it eventually. Well, as one of my Twitter followers um, said when I said, okay, I really wanted to like that album, but I don't. Mm -hmm. But I've only had one or two listens. He said, if Jay-Z spent as much time, I shouldn't say this if I'm not looking for backstage passes, but (laughs) hey, if Jay-Z spent as much time, um, you know, making the album as he has promoting it, then maybe it would be a better album. But I think also the expectation. I mean, you know, at the top of your career like that, the expectation when you come out with a new album, it's just like it, it's almost like you are just not going to reach what your fans just really project onto that expectation. Yeah, but he's lucky that he gets a chance to do it. I think ah, Absolutely. Yeah, and I think he's a great writer. He's a super smart guy and obviously a brilliant marketer. He's making things happen like this and – for his wife as well. I mean, two careers at the top. I mean, that's it's a tough thing to do, but it doesn't mean that what he's creatively that he's gonna be able to please everybody. As long as he's pleasing himself, it's his career and it's his life. Uh, you know. That's I mean, the, the only thing that I was a bit surprised about. I, I haven't listened to the album in detail, but it seems to he seem he, his themes seem to have degenerated a little bit oh, into you know the whole sort of misogynist type of cliche and i'm like why did you need to go there like for what reason yuck i think that's such a waste of time and more than likely i would think that people mo- i think the current mindset is people are trying to evolve and not devolve so i think people spot like i would spot that in in probably maybe four bars and if inside i mean four music bars not not four drinking bars (laughs) (laughs) yeah you have to preface it because we have a lot of australians listening and uh yeah they they were australia so bad (laughs) well you, you definitely i'll get you a backstage pass to um you know one of the local open mic nights oh that'd be so cool i would love it Actually, there's a, a pretty famous song in Melbourne called uh, A Thousand Ways to Die or A Million Ways to Die that was actually put out by the Transports Authority in Melbourne that just went viral. Have you, have you heard of that at all? No, but I want to check it out. That sounds interesting. Anyway, the singer on that is my cousin, so um, cousin by marriage. So they, they've got a band called Tin Pan Orange, which is quite successful on the local scene. But if you come, I'll definitely connect you with them and... Um, I would love it. I would be thrilled. But yeah, Kanye's album as well, he, he's, his new album, just some of the themes are pretty 
I mean, he, he you know, even as a man, I find, I, I, I just, I'm like, whoa, you know, it's just really intense misogyny. And I just, I don't know, I, I don't know why they insist that, as you say, that they don't really need to go there, that, especially at that point in their career, unless there's just something culturally going on that's just, you know, like I'm just not plugged into. Anything that has hate in it, the moment I spot it, I'm out. I'm done. I won't listen to it. Um, I I listened I listened to the whole Kanye record with my my good friend Miles, my piano player and co-writer, and we really like took our time listening to it and really as musicians kind of analyzed it. And I mean, there are some really amazing things that he did, but then there's also a real darkness to things, you know, like using strange fruit in a in um in a in a track um which is just right there such a creepy and sad song um to to bring that into like current day like can't we get past that can't we move past that can't we go somewhere else you know um i i would hope that art to me music is our job my job as a musician is to show people what the world can be not what it has been not what it's currently is because we already know that because we're living in it what it can be and bringing and trying to bring that vibration up that's my that's my job every day and i think and i think that plugs in so well with new york where new york pretty much is really unconcerned in in many ways where it comes from it's just all about where it's going to absolutely yeah living in the now getting things done having a great time you know understanding the intensity um, and and then just being your best, being at the top of your game. Well, Jess Domain, um, thanks so much. I've enjoyed it. We could probably continue rambling <laughs> for, for, for ages along all sorts of topics. I truly, you know, I truly hope that, uh, you know, it's been a long-standing tension between the creative industries and um, they inherently sometimes uh, there's, an, there's an antagonistic relationship with, the, the the business model, I should say. I, um, I truly hope that f- that 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 somehow, somewhere, that does trickle back to the artists because you know art really creates a lot of joy. And I think um, capitalism is great in many ways, but there are times where it does break down. You know, and one of the areas that it does break down and where it's recognised is 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 funding art, and that's why there's mm-hmm. philanthropy and governments and grants and that that prop up these. Um, you know, artistic industries because we know that capitalism doesn't necessarily fit the supply and demand properly. So I truly hope that you artists get your dues, yeah. and this um, hopefully is the beginning of of something something new that we're still not yet to see. But um, you know, we'll 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 make sure that you guys continue to make a good living. Fight the good fight for us, man. <laughs> and follow Jess Domain on Twitter and. Um, Yeah, thanks, Jess. We'll stay in touch with you. Thank you so much. The It's a Monkey podcast is brought to you by Manage Flitter. With Manage Flitter, you can easily find out who isn't following you back, find new people to follow, track keywords on Twitter, and schedule tweets for the most appropriate times. Tweet code MONKEY2 at Manage Flitter to receive a one-month free budgie account. James, I know um, probably my family who listened to that interview were, you know, holding on to every one of my words. And I apologize to <laughs> our lis- listeners if they are still listening. It's a little bit self-indulgent, but um, A, it's a f- I love music, I love technology, and B, uh, Jess is just um, she's from a part of the States, you know, the Midwest, which is famous for friendly people, and she's just a wonderful person to talk to. So I think our conversation got a little bit carried away, but I hope it was still a little bit interesting. Yeah, no, it was, it was, it was, it was interesting, entertaining, yeah. No. Seems like the two of you got along well, so it was good to sort of hear a, a, a lively conversation. Yeah, no, definitely. And um, look, it's not, it's not an interesting industry, and I guess she's taken an interesting route of you know, getting licensed in, in, in TVs and movies and something where there's stronger accountability and stronger predictions and, and which, which makes a lot of sense. 
Yeah, that's that's interesting that she's sort of managed to make a bit of money uh, from that avenue. Um, yeah, I wonder I wonder how you actually would get into that. I have to. I guess you'd have to sort of get the contacts and uh, build up a bit of reputation for sort of being able to deliver there. Yeah, and I think you know in New York and LA, that's it's it's definitely there's ecosystems, you know. And again, we've spoken of it's ongoing theme in the show about how important ecosystems are you know, to everything feeds off on each other and creates um, more productivity. And I think in these industries, it's it's very, very difficult to work in vacuums. You know, you've got to rub shoulders with the right people. So then when opportunity strikes you on top of mind, sometimes I think it's as simple as that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, very possibly, yeah. Just got to be in the right place, the right time and uh, in the right mind. <laughs> exactly. Um, Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Kevin and James. If you're using this while, if you're listening to us while using Manage Flitter, thank you. Send us a note, email us, tweet us, tell your friends. We love doing this podcast. We'd love to keep it going. As long as you people are listening, we will keep it going. It's been one year almost already. So we'll, we'll keep it going. And we will be back in two weeks. We try to keep it every two weeks. I know we were naughty and we missed a week. And that was due to a variety of reasons, which I won't bore you with. But we are going to keep it and strive to keep it every two weeks. So from uh, myself in New York and James in Sydney, uh, until next time. Have a good one.